This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bores and James Forsyth. So today the news in Westminster is about Angela Rayner, the Deputy Labour leader, and what she's had to say about law and order. Here's what she told Matt Ford on his podcast. You know what, on certain things I'm not though, because on things like law and order, I'm like quite hard line. I'm like, you know, shoot the terrorists and ask a question second in the morning. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, sorry. No, God, they like, like it. The most, that's the most controversial thing I've ever no, said. Absolutely. No, absolutely Now, Katie, this is the new Labour leadership, you know, trying to say that they're tough on crime. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, no. I think the reaction has been pretty predictable so far. So the Labour left, Diane Abbott, figures, you know, commentators such as Owen Jones have all come out and ultimately uh, condemned this. What is the purpose of Angela Rayner's statement? I mean, it's... She is known for, I think, quite colourful language in that sense. Um, she's one of those um, members of the Shadow Cabinet who has the most personality. It's got her into trouble in the past, if you think about Labour Conference, where she talked about Tory scum, eventually apologised, but several months later. I think on this one, though, I would imagine, I mean, let's see where it goes, but I think clearly Labour wants to be taken seriously on law and order. Is this a planned intervention? And perhaps I wouldn't go that far, but I think there'll be some who think, well, it does land a point. It's clearly going to be criticised, but at the moment, I mean, there is something to be found in almost... You're seeing through Keir Starmer, something I write in the magazine this week, that the leadership, at least, seems to think that one of the ways they can um, present themselves to the electorate is to, is not just to attack the Tories, but almost to put distance between them and their own side. So you see it on Kistama with Ukraine, um, you know, saying, oh, we did, I, you know, I'm not one for stop the war, I support NATO. I think drawing attention to this will have some people complaining, but for others it might just um, land this idea that this is a different uh, Labour to the one under Corbyn, which Angela Rayner also served under. <laughs> James, do you think voters are buying this? Not least because, as, as Katie says, Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner both served under Corbyn. Um, there was an interesting poll last month from Ipsos Mori which showed that the Labour Party was now more trusted on law and order than Tories. I think Katie is right. There are times when Angela Rayner's direct manner irritates Keir Starmer's office. I don't think this will be one of them. I think they'll be quite happy to have this row uh, with the left of the party. I think it fits the, the where they are trying to position the Labour Party on national security questions. I, I think the interesting challenge for Labour is, as Katie says in her politics column this week, most of the turnaround in their fortunes has been based on the Tories having a series of self-inflicted problems and the cost of living crisis beginning to eat into the government's support. I think it will be a very... The, the challenge for Labour is to show that they can attract support in their own right. And I think, well, I think that becomes particularly important because of the issue that, that Katie raises, which is, you know, what if the Tories change leader, you know, and get some kind of bounce out of that? What happens to Labour then? I think that's why the question that Katie asked in her politics column, which is, can Keir Starmer become a positive draw in his own right, is such an important one.
Katie, just staying on your politics column for the moment, you also raised the thought of which Tory successor to Boris Johnson they would be most scared of, if any at all. Tell us about your conclusions there. Um, the thrilling conclusion is no one is sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think ultimately you're never going to know until you get there. And look, if you speak to various figures in Labour, and I mean MPs, members of the shadow cabinet, advisors to the Labour leader, there's no unity. And there's also a tendency to play down most of the candidates as no big threat. I think that they would all be difficult in their own way. I don't think actually Labour can decide if they want to keep Boris Johnson or not. I think, I think right now... Boris Johnson staying in position is good good for them because he is beleaguered. They think he they think he is mortally wounded. I think that were Boris Johnson to mount uh, you know a full recovery, he's been a really tricky opponent for them. I think the sense in Labour is he won't be able to do that. But obviously, the two edged sword in that is you keep them in place. And what if they do come back to full health? I think we've seen that Labour really struggle to attack Boris Johnson. Um, the fact that Boris Johnson's currently in trouble is self-inflicted. It's nothing really to do with Keir Starmer. I think Starmer, if anything, has helped him stay in position. So you can see right now how Boris Johnson is good for them, and that's certainly the view. But it's a tricky opponent. You, you never know how long that is going to be a positive for Labour for. I think on Rishi Sunak, there's definitely lots of briefing that, you know, oh, he's going to be very easy for us. I'm a little bit sceptical of some of the thinking on this, but I, I definitely think one thing is this idea that Rishi Sunak would be more careful on spending. I think that you you see probably um, there's some appetite in Labour to fight a more conventional general election. So one of the tricky things they've had with Boris Johnson is the fact that he does spend more money. And also you have a situation where um, net zero is a key plank and they'd like to say the Tories really, you know, anti-green. Um, I think they think that would be helpful. And they would probably try and do some of those things if Rishi Sunak took over and uh, was, you know, trying to limit spending. I think that, you know, I had one figure say to me, oh, he's the David Miliband. So their biggest problem almost with Rishi Sunak was the fact that they didn't think he'd even get to that point because they'd missed his chance. So so I think there is some scepticism generally over Rishi Sunak, but also there are those who say, oh, we can attack him for being rich and having a rich wife. But so far that hasn't had too much impact when people have tried to do that so um, I think that has its difficulties and then I think what's quite interesting is there's been lots of talk particularly in terms of journalists on the left or focusing in on Labour that Jeremy Hunt is a candidate Labour MPs are most worried about something Stephen Bush the new statesman about to be the FT has written about and I definitely spoken to some in Labour who agree with that partly because they think Jeremy Hunt would keep net zero as a key priority and lots of shadow cabinet thinks that's bad for them but I think there's also another school of thought which is quite you know senior Labour figures have said to me well actually one of the things that has made it tricky for Labour at the past two elections is the NHS which is often a weak spot has become less of an issue and were you to make the longest serving health secretary leader at a time when waiting lists aren't going down who's also health secretary during the Cameron Osborne era, I think that you would quickly see the NHS become uh, a very live issue in the way it probably was more in 2015 than in the most recent elections. So I think those are the various strands of thought. I think think there is a sense that the Tory party was always quite good at reinvention. So bringing in a new leader would obviously have the potential to appear quite fresh. So as one said to me, well, they'd quite like an ideal scenario is for Boris Johnson to stick around for a while. So to the point that he, you know, makes anyone who might succeed him quite toxic and then everyone's damaged. But I'm not sure they'll get that wish. 
Um, and James, let's talk about Ukraine, because yesterday we were on a podcast, we were talking about the Russian claim that uh, troops had been withdrawn. But today, American and British intelligence is saying, actually, not only are they not being withdrawn, there are 7,000 more troops on the border. So what, what do we know that is happening there? So I, I think it, the Western uh, sources are convinced that this Russia claim of a pullback from the border is not accurate, is not backed up by what by what they are seeing. I think it is also striking the suggestion this morning. You know, we had, we talked about this on the podcast previously, you know, Vladimir Putin saying in that news conference with Olaf Scholz that, 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 you know, absurdly claiming that there was genocide going on in the Donbass. That, you know, was that a pretext for Russian intervention? You've now got Russia claiming that they've, that, you know, mass graves have been discovered there and that there's persecution of, uh, of Russian speakers, uh, systematic persecution of Russian speakers. All of these things I think you can see as Russia building pretexts to give it the option to go in if it wants to. I think that the the Western nervousness is still clearly there. You see Joe Biden saying today that he thinks it's very likely that Russia might go in in the next few days. I think one thing that, you know, one thing they'll be watching for is to see what happens after the Winter Olympics end. There's kind of been a view that Russia wouldn't want to go while that was still going on. I, I think the other thing that is causing alarm is, you know, it is very hard to tell what is a bluff and what is not a bluff until the very last minute. And I think this is not going to be clear for some time. I also think that the amount of military equipment that Russia has moved to near the Ukrainian border means that even if Russian forces are pulled back, it will be much easier for Russia to get into a position to escalate quickly in future than it was before November. James and Katie, thanks very much. And to hear more of James's thoughts on Russia and Ukraine, you can pick up this week's issue of The Spectator, where he writes the cover piece on this issue. And we'd also like to thank all of you, our Coffee House Shots listeners, for helping us reach over a million monthly listens. All of these new numbers on our podcasts, on our print magazine, on our digital subscription are all online on the Spectator website because the UK magazine industry has released its figures today. So it's very exciting news and thank you for all of you for your loyal support. And do join us again tomorrow.